1: Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrowcom slash
2: ACAST. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe.
3: Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. When will Arsenal beat somebody good? Another win, top of the league in an excellent performance against suddenly completely hopeless Liverpool. Trent Alexander-Arnold probably responsible for all the goals, of course. Erling Haaland misses two chances, does a 4-0 defeat, mean Ralph Hassenhutel's job is safer or hanging by an even finer thread? Ronaldo scores and presses as Manchester United win at Everton at 7 o'clock on a Sunday night WTAF. Ethan Pinnock gets all the headlines in Newcastle, what he does for us, while West Ham score three goals that all probably shouldn't have been allowed. Marco Silva took it all very well. An emotional win for Spurs, Gary O'Neill's unbeaten and Mason Mount is good. There's the unfortunate hacking of Ika Casillas' Twitter account, the Euro 2024 qualifying draw. Your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Jonathan Wilson, hello. Morning, how are you doing? Very good, thank you. Hello, Barry Glendenning. Hello, Max Rushton. Uh, Barney Ronno, hello, mates.
0: All right, champ. How
3: are you? <laughs> really good, thank you. Jack says you must get this a lot, but this really is the superior lineup. Everything you could want: the class of Ron A, the realism of Wilson and Glendenning, the workman. Love you, Max. Thank you very much, Jack. <laughs> let's uh, let's begin at the Emirates. Arsenal three, Liverpool two. Um, this was a, a, a fun game, wasn't it? Liverpool's worst start for a ge- decade. Uh, we'll get to them, but Arsenal at top. You were there, Barney. I feel like feel like the, they deserved it.
0: Yeah, they were really good. I mean, it's a 3-2 win, uh, which doesn't sound like uh, a decisive win. It could have been a draw, as Jürgen Klopp said. But in reality, um, Arsenal looked by far the better team. Uh, And there was a strange sort of shifting of of roles where Arsenal were this uh, really ravenous, organised, hard-pressing system team, a team that you really felt all bought into what they were doing and they will overwhelm you and whereas Liverpool had become this team of individuals who relied on a couple of good moments to score and look like the kind of fey, weak, celebrity team they've been devouring for the last four years. It was a strange uh, sort of role shift and um, I mean I don't know if Arsenal have the ceiling to do what Liverpool have done. I know I'm sort of rambling on a bit here but I don't want to say that it's going to be all about what have Liverpool done wrong. How have they failed? Why are they not as good as they were? And that is a failure. Klopp is a fraud. It's bad. And they are evil people. But it kind of doesn't feel like that. It's it's. Um, I'd rather say how good they were. And that team, which was so hard to build, a team like that, and they didn't have endless resources. It's kind of done now. The, the good players um, have got older. And the players that have come in to replace the ones who have left, uh, left are not as good. And they will need to build a different kind of team. Also, I think the methods possibly need to evolve slightly. You know, Liverpool have the same weaknesses and strengths that they had five years ago. Yeah, they're a bit more of a possession team. But, you know, this has been one idea absolutely done uh, to death, really sort of rung out and got, they got the maximum of what they could get. And I feel like that team just needs to be kind of praised and you need a Viking funeral for how good Klopp's Liverpool team were for four years. You know, put Jordan Henderson in a a longboat, set fire to it and push it off Liverpool docks and say, well done, rather than saying Trent Alexander-Arnold is evil, Klopp is a fraud and everything they did counts for nothing. I would just say it's a testimony to how high the standards were that it takes this to beat them and how hard uh, football is.
3: Wilson, does it... It feels like Arsenal have got really good really quite quickly. Is that just because I haven't been concentrating on, on the, sort of the painstaking work that Arteta's done in the last however many years it is?
4: I mean, I think there has been a, a definite gear shift this season. I, I think, and it's almost the reverse of what you're seeing with Liverpool, that confidence, I, I, know, I know the sort of more fundamentalist sort of stat swallows don't like to believe in confidence. But it clearly makes a huge difference, and once it starts to go, you start making bad decisions, and you start you know, fumbling over things you were doing very straightforwardly, and, and that, that's that's where Liverpool are at the moment. Um, Arsenal now got got the opposite, where everything's suddenly going right, and, and whatever they try comes off. And, and you know, I thought the second goal was was a great example of that. That you know, Martinelli checks back because he suddenly got two men on him. And, and rather than sort of panicking and, or you know, just trying to outpace them, he, he sort of looks up and, oh, look, there's Saka at the back post. I'll just roll this across and knock it in. And, and I just, I'm not sure they had that sort of clarity last season. But at the same time, I think it has been building. I think yeah, you have been able to see uh, your structures in that mid- midfield beginning to work. I think Saliba coming in has made a huge difference in that they're not as vulnerable as they were defensively. I still think actually defensively, there's a couple of issues there that both this game and the Tottenham game when they they looked significantly the better team, they they got themselves into trouble. So the you know the the Tottenham equaliser, and then the, the the Firmino goal, both sort of felt like they they came almost out of nothing. That you know, the the first attack of 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 that half sort of undid them. So there's still that slight issue there. But I, I think what they have now is that uh, in the past they've have, they've have buckled at that kind of setback, and and now they don't. I mean, like last, last season, they lost seven of the ten games against other members of the Big Six, and you know they now just beaten two in a row and there's a little bit of that uh, at Old Trafford that they, they sort of went chasing that game and maybe they shouldn't have um and ended up losing a game where yeah they they weren't the worst team by by, by any means but yeah i think it's a it's the, the the process we keep being told about plus confidence and and you know they they're a very young side and they beginning to mature i think it's all very exciting for them
3: Now, Matt says if Arsenal can only beat bad teams and if being beaten by Arsenal means the team is actually a bad team, can Arsenal actually theoretically beat a good
5: team? Um, uh, Barry? uh, The way things are shaping up, they will only be proved a good team if they beat Manchester City, who are undeniably a good team. (laughs) And if they can do that twice, then they may very well win the league, in which case... Pep Guardiola is going to have some serious questions to answer, having uh, educated the Arsenal manager <laughs> and then given him two hand-me-downs during the summer who are proving incredibly effective for Arsenal in uh, Oleksandr Sinchenko and Gabriel Jesus. I think Arsenal, you know, this was a stern test for them. Uh, Liverpool are way off. It's not so much heavy metal football from um, Liverpool this season is more prog rock. Rick Wakeman <laughs> playing seven keyboards at the same time. They're the nickelback of, yeah. uh, of football now. While while wearing a wizard's cape. But, um, <laughs> they, you know, Arsenal, they they, they uh, let Liverpool draw a level yesterday twice and, and still won. You know, old, soft, underbelly, spineless Arsenal may well have lost that game. But um, I was I was very impressed with them yesterday.
3: What did you make of the penalty decision, Barney? Because Klopp was unhappy about it, and it's one of those where I, I would be disappointed if it was if my team was defending and happy if they were attacking.
0: Yeah, I I didn't. I mean, watching it, I, I didn't think I thought it was going to be overturned on uh, VAR. I was seeing next to Nick Ames, who was adamant that it was a penalty. Um, so you know, take from that what you will. And an adamant Nick Ames is not something you want to, you don't want to mess around <laughs> with, with. That whoa, <laughs> but you know, and, and he was right. You know, it was it, the the referee agreed there was a penalty. I mean, I, I you know, it, I guess we're going to have to talk about this stuff. Um, it's just one of those things, isn't it? The level of outrage is not proportionate to the fact that these are kind of semi subjective decisions in a game which is a a mess of collisions and which exists as a way of trying to negotiate how those collisions work. There's always going to be uh, fascinating discussions about whether you think someone has kicked someone or someone has kicked someone else. So I guess we've got that to to look forward to. I thought what was more interesting about Arsenal is just that um, I like Arteta because I don't know if he's got the right plan, but he's really convinced that he has a plan and that sometimes is enough if you just have a plan and everyone says this is the plan that works, and he, you know, I I knew it was going to be okay when he got rid of Aubameyang, which people were kind of outraged at, but it was clearly the right decision. Arsenal had this team built around uh, good players who don't try and players who try who aren't very good. That if you can, it's like a bad version of Zidane Z You know, put those together and somehow they'll work. And and it wasn't it wasn't working for quite a long time. So instead, now they're they're going for good players who try which I think is a good plan and might have some future in it.
3: Do you think the Liverpool players are now good players who aren't trying? Like there's always, there's so much, there's so much slow-mo replays of players not tracking back enough. What was it on match of the day that Thiago wasn't running back as fast as Darwin Nunes?
0: No, I I think they're good players who have tried too hard and uh, their trying is now depleted. Uh, The thing about Alexander-Arnold, he just jogs back. Um, I think that's a bit sort of Problematic. Like that's literally just the way he runs. When he runs forward as fast as he can, he's sort of jogging. He has a slouchy style. And when you have people talking about body language and analyzing whether somebody's got their knees high enough to sort of analyze their mental state, I think you're heading down a very strange path. And somewhere that's actually a bit dubious, it's a bit of a trope. To be honest, and I think people shouldn't say it. he's obviously trying. He's not. He's not not trying. He's not a casual guy who's like oh whatever, you know. Who cares? That's the way he moves. <laughs> he's not. He doesn't run like he's been in the British <laughs> like Army, like Dylan from the year. Magic,
3: Dylan from the Magic Roundabout. Yeah, <laughs> that,
0: that, don't go down that line. He may be in the wrong place. He may be doing something the clock wants him to do. Blah blah blah. But he's not not trying because he has a casual style. And I I think people should not say that because it leads you into some weird places.
3: Barry, I really enjoyed the three minutes played on top of the five minutes injury time just to see how sort of infuriating, (laughs) infuriated Arteta was getting. And the Tim Booney says, why is Mikel Arteta allowed so far out of his technical area? Does he have some kind of dispensation? Twice he nearly tripped opposition players. I know that Richard Keyes is very exercised by it. And I'm starting to find Arteta a little bit annoying, which makes me wonder, am I becoming Richard (laughs) Keyes?
5: Um I think you have a way to go yet, Max. <laughs> okay. Just
3: keep me on the straight and narrow, if you
5: would. I, I, I think it's your job to keep me on the straight and narrow, but the, well, I don't really know what I'm <laughs> to to, saying. To I've, said, I've mean, done that recently, Barry. So, <laughs> I hadn't noticed that uh, Arteta spent a lot of time outside his technical area. I have to say, I do find his touchline histrionics slightly irritating, but um, yeah, I wouldn't say it. it Causes me consternation when I'm out for my <laughs> afternoon walk or anything.
3: <laughs> uh, let's go to uh, Man City 4, Southampton nil. Anthony says, how is Haaland going to overcome his hat-trick drought? Uh, Jim, with only one goal and taking 65 minutes to get it, is it fair to say Haaland is a spent force now? Um, he actually missed two chances in this game, Barney, which was uh, something to savour for the rest of
2: us.
0: Yeah, although I, I guess you'd say the first chance... Because it involved him running through off the back of the defence, probably uh, was so terrifying. It set up the rest of the. I mean, well, now that City can do that, that's the, the new string to their bow, isn't it? And um, he did also hit the post in a really pleasing way. It Made a really loud, solid, that is true. clunk. Yeah, um, and so that was there was something kind of really strong about that. Uh, I know it's difficult, isn't it? Because they are so good. Um, and they have players that you forget about, oh, Cancelo, Bernardo Silva, who are, would be the star presence in any other team. Um, is it interesting is the question people have started asking. Um, the question is simply how will they win this game? How many goals will be scored? When will Haaland score? And you know, entertain us, make, make this kind of exhibition beautiful. Is 4-0 enough? Did we feel satisfied by that? I mean, was it? Uh, what you know, this is thing you can um, in the NBA, you can just buy the final quarter. Uh, you can get past just to watch the final quarter because they realised really, the whole game was just. <laughs> it's like just people throwing balls in a basket, and it was only really the final <laughs> quarter where it, it, there was any jeopardy and it got exciting. And I I wonder if there might be some kind of uh, TV deal. Todd Bowley could maybe come up with an idea with with City, where you just get to watch the 15 minutes where they're going to score beautiful goals. And the rest of you don't really have to watch them just keeping the ball and other teams making substitutions. I don't know. I mean, there, there, there are teams there who, now that they have... You, you, previously, they could have a malfunction. The system would work so well and you'd watch them not converting billions of chances and it would be exciting and they might lose to Crystal Palace. Now they have Haaland, that glitch has kind of gone. Like. There are teams who literally cannot beat Man City because they are so good. And some element of jeopardy, if you're a neutral, has gone. So you can enjoy the beautiful football. It's like watching a really good uh, ice dancing performance or something. But in ice dancing, you're not trying to beat anyone and there's
5: no collisions. And it's kind of like
0: that. But this ice dancing was good and they got four
5: goals. I would, I would argue if I wasn't quite ice dancing, nothing in this game sort of got me you know, sitting up bolt upright on the the sofa going, wow. Whereas uh, there was a moment during Tony Adams' performance on Strictly (laughs) that did, (laughs) when he did the full Monty and ripped his trousers off to reveal a pair of pink shorts and sort of sock suspenders and then put his arm up for offside. It was like, ah, yes, even though he's an absolutely terrible dancer.
3: Do you think Do you think until Tony Adams is, is thrown out of Strictly, whenever we're talking about a Man City game, we just give the result
5: and then just review Tony Adams' dance? Is that what we should do? Well, if I was buying a section of Strictly, I'd, I'd buy the Tony Adams performance, even though he's one of the worst on there. Jonathan, have you got anything to add about Manchester City? I mean, Cancelo, the outside of
3: Cancelo's right foot is a wonderful thing.
4: Yes, I I mean, he's a really, really, really good footballer and they're a team of really, really good footballers and they're way, way better than Southampton. And and, I mean, the the, the only slightly baffling thing is that they didn't beat Southampton in either league game last season, but I guess we should have talked about that then rather than now. I mean, I hope we we probably did. did. (laughs) (laughs) We're I'd have mentioned it came on. <laughs> <laughs> if we didn't mention it,
3: somebody could trawl back and just, if someone could just do the admin, do an audit of last season and check that we did. John says, where does Barry now stand on Hassanhutl after his tactical genius kept Haaland to just one goal in 90 minutes? So lots of rumours flying about that Hassanhutl might actually get the heave-ho at some point, Baz.
5: Yeah, well, there were rumours going around before this game and I'm not sure... You know, if if you have to go into an away match against City to save your job, I think I just (laughs) wouldn't bother. (laughs) How much do you want that payoff or need it? Look, I don't think this makes any difference to him. Uh, I would be surprised if he doesn't get sacked, but I was surprised he didn't get sacked at the end of last season. I've been surprised on other occasions when he hasn't got sacked. Um, There's new owners at Southampton now who who aren't the owners who didn't sack him previously. But... uh, yeah, I, d- I don't know. I, I don't know what to make of Ralph Hasenhuttl. Just one more on City, Barney. If, you know, we, we sort of say like that now
3: Haaland has sort of fixed that glitch. When they do drop some points or don't win, how hyperbolic should we get about that moment, whoever manages to
0: do it? Yeah, well, I mean, they've already drawn uh, two games. Um, I guess that was in part to do with them finding out how to function as a slightly different team, maybe, or other teams just playing well. And they are behind Arsenal in the league, um, which still seems, (laughs) how's that? Uh, What's going on there? (laughs) Uh, um, Yeah, if anyone can find, I mean, the good thing about the Premier League is um, teams do work furiously at trying to discover other teams' weaknesses. And uh, provided we're not all, I mean, I do feel with sometimes, sometimes it doesn't happen. Sometimes there's a kind of overly respectful, everybody just decided never to go anywhere near Virgil van Dijk. about three years because he's Virgil van Dijk and so there was no attempt to discover if he kind of had any weaknesses I felt. Um and there will be a way of playing against Manchester City that possibly might work. But it just hasn't been discovered yet and teams of NASA scientists are working on it as we speak. But what can you do? Everything that they do is very good. They can take the ball away from you. They can if you press high they'll run over the back. They they really have covered the bases really well and you know, that's not a given. Pep Guardiola has managed it really well. Uh, I think what they're doing is commendably simple. I do feel with him sometimes he's he's uncomfortable. He looks like he's become a third party in this thing. He keeps talking to the crowd during games and like pointing. Have you seen? Have you seen what's going on? And that's not him. He's he's <laughs> normally the twelfth man. He's so engaged. He's so involved. This is me. But he's become. Um, he's objectifying his own team, which I think is really uncomfortable with him. He's watching them function and feeling de-skilled. Uh, but I think he should be a little easier on himself. And he's obviously just decided we are going to play like this. And it's quite straight and to the point. And, and that works beautifully. The only way, you know, he is, he's always been the human glitch in the machine, hasn't he? Because he wants this thing to be complex and he wants to be at the centre of it. And I'm still convinced that he's going to get them to the Champions League final Uh, Drop Haaland, play three false nines, and they'll lose to Bayern Munich.
1: Um, All right, that'll do for part one. Part 2 we'll begin at Goodison. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrowcom slash ACAST.
3: Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, we're doing a live show, Barry, in November, the 17th of November, at Earth in Hackney. And on the lines, live stream around the whole of the world, uh, around the Earth, anywhere on Earth or in Earth, you can watch us. Think of it as the only preparation you need for the World Cup if you plan on being incredibly ill-prepared for the World Cup. Lars Silverton and Ellis James join us. Um, get your tickets at theguardian.com/slash guardian live and uh it's live streamed and you can watch it on catch up as well uh for the following week so um yeah seven billion tickets available everton one manchester united two um a winner for a ronaldo uh do you apologize wilson
4: to whom and for what
3: uh to everybody for saying he couldn't do it anymore at this level brian
4: i mean i never said he couldn't score goals against a team (laughs) managed by frank lampard (laughs)
3: okay it's his 700th uh, career goal for a club career goal 20 years and two days after his first um and he look he did Barry have a good game I thought when he came on what in the 30th minute or so I saw him doing some pressing as well as scoring the winner
5: yeah um and the thing he he played against uh ammonia in the Europa League on Thursday and didn't play well at all and I all his teammates were constantly trying to, to tee him up for this milestone seven hundredth goal and he, he didn't get it. And United won that game but were hugely unconvincing against a team we're obliged to call Cypriot Minnows. But yeah, I thought he had a good game yesterday. He he only got one chance and put it away nicely. But I thought apart from his gaff for the first goal, I I thought Casemiro was probably his old Real Madrid teammate was was the standout player for United.
3: Yeah, it, Once before we move on to Casemiro, one interesting stat about Ronaldo from Sam Homewood, who said, if Ronaldo never scores again, and Haaland also plays to 38, he'll need to score 43 goals a season for the next 16 years to level Cristiano's career total. Unless, of course, he scores a million this season, and then, and then he's done it, which is highly possible. Yeah, Casemiro's first start, like you say, he lost the ball for that brilliant Iwobi goal uh, for Everton. He looked quite old in that moment. I was slightly worried about him. Missed a great chance, created the winner. To
5: be, to be fair, be, before he lost, he did get a bit of a hospital pass. True. I can't remember who passed it to him, but it was...
4: It was Anthony, I
5: think. Yes, correct. And yeah, it was a hospital pass. So I would not hold him completely culpable for that.
3: Fair enough. What did you make of his performance, Wilson, Casemiro? Uh,
4: yeah, I mean... Um... I I'd sort of started to become a bit worried about him. That I, it, it seemed odd to me when the deal happened. Why were Real Madrid so of so swift to you're offering what? Yeah, okay, fine, off off, off you go. And, and maybe that's a financial thing that they just sort of thought, yeah, sixty million quid. We've got Camavinga and we have got uh, Shawmany coming in. Yeah, we've our finance have been hammered by the pandemic. Take the money, it makes sense. We've got cover. But I, I did wonder if it was something in that haste. And then, particularly when he, you know, when he barely played for the first sort of six weeks after he got to United, that I was starting to think, you know, have a, have United been sold a puppy? But once he sort of settled into the game, he was, he was really, yeah, he's brilliant. Um, and, and not just sort of sitting in front of the back four, but actually, uh, you know, stepping up. He's got a, a, a turn of pace. I have to say, I didn't, didn't realise that he had. His passing, obviously, is, is really, really good. So I don't, I don't think. In an ideal world, he's the player Ten Hag would have signed, but I think he's a very useful player for United to have for the next two or three years while the the Ten Hag revolution happens around him.
3: Barney, are Everton actually sort of okay? Are they quite good? I I really thought they'd struggle a lot. And I, I think in a kind of
0: dogs of war, old 90s Everton style, they might have a bit of that about them. I mean, I think Frank Lampard, having been given all these opportunities, is learning on the job. Um, how to be a better manager which um you know credits him they've definitely changed a bit um he's already made he did this last season didn't he? he's made some sort of profound alterations to the way he wanted them to play i don't know there's a weird i never thought that everton fans would really like and admire and feel a connection to frank lampard it seems like the most unlikely thing um maybe it's because he's the bizarro stephen gerrard maybe that helps um, that's a kind of good. There's a good energy there, and you know, fair play to Frank. He's proving um, the doubters, the haters, most of whom are on this uh, Zoom call right now.
3: Uh, if not wrong, then <laughs> kind of not right yet. Do you have to apologise to Frank Lampard, Jonathan Wilson?
4: I, I get, well, okay, that's for to whom, but but for what? I mean, they defensively they they have improved this season, but I think there's two things to be said about it. So, so one is. Uh, in the autumn of the season, which he ended up getting sacked by Chelsea, Chelsea went on a run where they conceded two goals in 10 games. Uh, now, partly I was going to say, did they played Krasnodar twice in that run? I think. And there was a couple of weaker teams they played. But they also had 3 0 0 draws in that run. And, and it sort of felt like, well, he can do defending as long as they don't have to do any attacking at the same time. And I sort of feel this run with Everton has been a, a little bit like that, that they. They, they, I mean, and it's obvious, you know, everything you say about Evan has to be caveated by the fact they have got a ludicrous number of injuries and that makes everything very, very difficult. So, you know, that, that, that clearly is an issue. But it, it doesn't feel to me as if they offered much attacking threat this season. And, and so they have been able to defend better while doing that. At the same time, they've got two centre backs in Tarkovsky and Cody who are very, very sort of physical centre backs. So they're players who you can trust to sort of hurl themselves in the way of shots. So they'll, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're brave, all-action players. Uh, and that doesn't speak of a great system. That just speaks of two defenders who chuck themselves in the way. I think Inanna at the back of midfield is similar. Pickford's in the form of his life. So if you look at the XG, they've only got players who throw themselves at the ball. That's <laughs> well, a, interesting that's interesting. I think that's a, a slightly
3: It's just invading grenades, aren't they? They're just like jumping over anything. It's a, that's,
4: a, that's a slightly site slight oversimplification what i was saying, but fundamentally, yes, yes, that is true. <laughs> and uh, you look at the XG, and they, they yeah, the XG hasn't conceded six more goals than they have on on balance of play, and. and yeah, we shouldn't take XG as gospel. Uh, it's a guide to to sort of w- why are you seeing maybe something different to what the results are. And I think in this case, that's what it is. That structurally, they I, I still don't fully trust them. I think the way that they just kept giving the ball away to concede the two United goals and a couple of other chances, uh, yes, on, on Sunday, that that would concern me. But I also sort of think, you know, if you if you know you're not very good at organising a structure of the defence, just getting sort of good physical defenders isn't actually a bad a bad policy. But we'll see what happens if Pickford has a downturn in form, or if kodia Tokovsky gets injured, or if Anana's engine sort of runs out. Um, and I think it might be a bit trickier, but but yes, they, they, they have improved and, and, and credit for that.
3: I suppose the epitome of a player who hurls themselves at the ball is is John Terry. And so Frank Lampard would have seen a lot of that, wouldn't he? And just think that's that's why I just need to buy as many of them. Well, th- th-
4: those players aren't bad players. Those players are often very good players. So it's, 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 there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a particular style that I, I think in the long term you probably need a bit more than. Newcastle 5, Brentford 1. Mark
3: says, uh, have the panel ever had a day in the office comparable to Ethan Pinnock's on Saturday? Scott says, does Barry think that Ethan Pinnock is an early contender for own goal of the season? And Bob says, as someone who doesn't watch Brentford until today when they played against my team, I'm starting to suspect that
5: Ethan Pinnock isn't as good as he's been made out to be. Barry? Um, Well, as the founder member and perhaps sole member of the Ethan Pinnock uh, for the Ballon d'Or and Puskas Awards campaign. I would like... Yeah, he had a mare. Um, to be fair to him, it was his first match of the season. He's been injured. And to say he looked a little ring rusty would be being extremely kind. So I'm prepared to give Ethan a, a pass on this one. Uh, he just just had one of those awful days. Um, and, and Brentford... There's a lot of blame to go around there. I mean, I think uh, every, every time Liverpool concede a goal, the camera automatically cuts to Trent Alexander-Arnold. You know, he might be in Asda doing his shopping because he hasn't been picked, <laughs> but the camera still cuts to him, looking sad and forlorn. Uh, whereas I think there is a lot of blame to go around at Liverpool, and certainly there was a lot of blame to go around at Brentford. Uh, they They gifted Newcastle at least three goals, if not four, and uh, yeah, Ethan was probably the standout worst performer of a, a very bad bunch. Gimares, who I haven't
3: seen a huge amount of, uh, Wilson is a tremendous player, isn't he?
4: Oh yeah, he's yeah, he's really really good. And you know, of the of the many signings Newcastle have made, he he's the one who you think, yeah, he he really is a level above what they had, and he, he he really is. Yeah, you know, the, the beginning of sort of the, the Champions League, Newcastle, that, that, that they all envisage. And, you know, he, can, he can play at the back of midfield. He can play further forward in midfield. The headed goal, you know, he took really well. He's just a superb all-round footballer.
3: Matthew says, another, after another great performance and assist, should Kieran Trippier be England's first choice at right-back? Yes, obviously.
4: Do <laughs> you think definitely yes? If Rhys James plays on the right of the, of the back three, then Trippier is the right wing-back makes lots of sense. Not just because he's got you know, great defensive attributes and he's a great cross of the ball and he, he would add to England's threat from set pieces.
3: Arati says, uh, it's been one year since Newcastle's takeover. Have the new owner's human rights record been forgotten already? Does anyone else feel <laughs> uncomfortable when the press and social media are all about what a great job Eddie Howe has done? And Tom says, what does everyone make of the banner at Newcastle United celebrating the anniversary of their takeover? Barry, did you enjoy that big TIFO that they unfurled?
5: I mean, that that crowd wore flags. Uh, they're called. They they do come up with some very good tifos, and I would say that was not one of them. I, I'm not. Was it like a basically a Sky Sports screen grab? Is is that what it was? It had some sort of tweets. It had
3: tweets from people. I, I I think part of it. I must admit, I didn't focus on every bit of it. Part of it was about Simon Jordan saying on the radio that they wouldn't, the takeover wouldn't happen, and it happened like an hour later or something. Um, and then there was a nice picture of Amanda Staveley. Um, Barney, you laughed mid question. Does that suggest that people haven't forgotten about that, or or some people talk about it and some don't?
0: It's just an awkward scenario that I watched match of the day. And the, uh, the the guy, whoever the commentator was, was like, "And here we are at St James's Park, and celebrating a year on from the success of the takeover." And also, some people have moral quandaries about the takeover. You know, he was trying to sort of get everything in in a commentator voice uh, while encompassing massive issues of kind of uh, geopolitical forces and the fact that there were some tweets from Simon Jordan and stuff that people wanted to gloat about. It was it was it was strange. I thought that. Um, there's something sort of cult-like uh, about this, the, some of the reaction to it. I mean, to to be so happy and excited about being taken over by Saudi Arabia is weird. Um, it, it it makes no sense to me not to have nuanced feelings about that, to try to separate out what what's good here, what are the things that are good for Newcastle, good for the team, good for me, and what are the things that I might question Whereas to simply throw yourself headfirst into saying this is wonderful and I hate everyone who says it's not, I find really kind of sad. I mean, I just think it's kind of sad that, that that's the level of discourse. And I sometimes used to, it does make you wonder about people. You know, yeah, have big tweets and entirely entirely embrace this thing as only good. Um, I mean, it's it's a really complex thing. I don't know if you've noticed, but... um. You know, Newcastle is setting up heat hubs this winter, hot public places where you can go if you can't afford to heat your home. Like there is a massive issue going on in the world with how we allocate resources and the way some people are being impoverished in our country you simply can't afford to, to, to live in the way we've arranged the economy. Half of the world, basically, a small, a small portion of the world, the OPEC plus countries, have decided not to increase the production of oil and gas to keep the price at the point they want it to be because they're happy with the way that works. And the rest of the world is simply having to deal with that. Um, And Saudi Arabia owned Newcastle. And I just don't think it's an entirely simplistic thing that you should be saying this is 100% great. And if you don't question how this is working, if you do question it, then we hate you. Uh, I, I wish there could be a bit more nuance to it because it's actually fascinating and quite disturbing in many ways. Mm.
3: And Actually, Barry, you asked me a good question yesterday on the radio because I was saying Eddie Howe's kind of parroting of I'm not an expert. I don't understand these things. I don't want to say anything on something I don't quite understand. And I said, that's not good enough. And you asked me, what, what do you expect him to say? And actually, it was a really good question because I don't really know what I want him to say, but I... I I don't hate the fact that that question is
5: continually asked. The job he's been given is a wonderful opportunity for him as a football coach. You know, obviously he's brilliantly remunerated, but he's been given this here, have this massive club, the only club in this football mad city. Uh, we've got a blank chequebook, you know, more or less financial fair play permitting, uh, and go and build a team that can. Challenge for the top four, eventually challenge for the title, eventually challenge for the Champions League. So, it's a, a brilliant opportunity for him now. To expect him to come out and go, oh yeah, my my, my the club's owner is a terrible bastard. <laughs> it's, it's not going to happen, is it? The last owner was a tyrant and who who had you know used the club to further his own interests, and now. The new owner is an even bigger tyrant who's using the club to further his own interest. He's not going to say that. um. So I presume he's weighed up his options and gone, I'm just going to not really comment on it. Because no matter what I say, I'm going to get grief. But if I just don't say anything, I'll get the least amount of grief.
0: I agree with Barry. I mean, it's completely logical, this. Two stories there one is that newcastle have a really interesting team that's fun to watch and they're good and it's good for football if newcastle are good because they're a good club and then there's another story of which if you support the club you certainly should be asking yourself is why why do these people own my club and what do they want and that's it's clearly not to make some money because that's not an issue um it's for other reasons and the, they're two separate stories but you have to look at both of them, unless you're the manager who, you know, yeah, there's no way of engaging with it for him. He is right to just say, I'm here to be a football manager because he is. All right, that'll do for part two. Part three, we'll begin at the London Stadium.
2: Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4 e or Summit 4 e.
3: Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. West Ham three, Fulham one. All these goals were fun, Wilson. I mean, Pereira's opening goal for Fulham was absolutely brilliant. Then you have this hilarious penalty moment where the ref has told Pereira, whatever you do, don't go near Craig Dawson. And then. The first time I saw it, I was like, Pereira's a complete idiot. And then it just turns out that actually Craig Dawson's just sort of punched him in the face and won a penalty.
4: Yeah, I mean, clearly the, the fact that the ref had stopped it twice before, the, you know, the actual corner was in his mind. But what, <laughs> what's Pereira meant to do? He hasn't. All he's done is stand still and get run into <laughs> and smashed in the face by Craig Dawson's forearm. So I, I, I just, I don't, I don't understand that at all. Uh, and then, yeah, the two hand balls. I mean, I'm pretty sure both touched the hand. Uh, the Antonio one, it's I, supposedly because it was second phase of play, but I don't know. When, when does a save off a keeper become a second, second phase? It didn't for Marcus Rashford at Everton, which looked to me a pretty similar incident. So, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I thought Danny Murphy signed, summed this up well on Match of
5: the Day where he just went, if I was a Fulham player, I'd enjoy my evening meal with a glass of wine safe from the knowledge that we'd actually won 1-0.
3: <laughs> the best thing about that Pereira penalty was Dan James's face who I think a lot of people, that was the moment they realised that he'd signed for Fulham because he just thought Pereira had fouled him again and he just did this, what are you doing, mate? And then the second finish, the finish from Schumacher, Schumacher looks, Barney, like a, Really brilliant player, doesn't he? And that finish was beautiful.
0: Yeah, but it was the finish of someone who kind of expected that I'm going <laughs> to blow the whistle here. It's like when you've, yeah. there's, the flag's gone up and you smash it in the net and like, yeah, I can do that when I don't care. And he clearly was looking around going, well, I've just handballed it. They're going to, he didn't celebrate at all. I thought he's being really cool. He's just really cool. I've scored, so what? And then when they actually gave it, he ran off screaming in joy, <laughs> um, which is, but he didn't think it was a goal. I mean, it's just really, it's difficult. They've made a stupid rule is the problem. It's not, I, I was listening to um to the radio and uh, uh, as I was driving home from, from the Arsenal game and they were talking about the Rashford uh, handball and I heard a pundit who shall remain nameless because I don't know his name, uh, say that the 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 var at Stockley Park is Andre Mariner, and he should hang his head in shame. Um, and, <laughs> and I, oh, wow, what's he done? You know, um, but it turns out that he had simply interpreted the handball rule correctly, um, and the pundit who shall remain nameless know his name uh, didn't understand uh, the laws and thought that you know didn't understand that they've said that any kind of handball in first phase before a goal. Is, is, you know, is gonna, you're going to rule out the goal. It's just stupid. I mean, the the closer you stare at this thing, the more ridiculous it's going to look. Anything that you stare at in this detail looks ridiculous. Uh, and that's just the end of it. So you, you've decided. Yeah,
3: actually, sorry, Barney, but actually, like, like Rashford should square it. Like, Antonio should... Pass it to someone when when because he knows he's handled it. Unless Antonio goes, I feel now I'm in the second phase because Tim Ream is just having his own party by himself, that makes it another phase, doesn't it? It's just go, kind of, I think I think Tim Ream's fallen off enough times now for this to become the second phase, or like maybe the stadium, the light should change color so that the strikers know when they're in the second phase and they can now shoot. Um, anyway, Marco Silva was absolutely furious and. Probably
4: justifiably so, since none of the goals should have counted, um, Wilson. I mean, from his point of view, the only good thing is you've got three of these daft decisions out of the way in the one game. So if these do balance out for the rest of the season, right? You know, it, it at least kind of they're, they're all in the past now for Fulham. They can move on. Chelsea three, Wolves nil. Uh, what did you make of this one, Baz? I thought it was a routine win for Chelsea
5: against a very poor Wolves side who've got a lot of problems. They can't score goals. They don't have it. Um, they're, they're losing players to injury. Uh, their goal to striker is clearly not fit enough to play Premier League football at the moment, which is understandable seeing as he was without clubs since, well, he hasn't really played since the end of November last year. So it's going to take him time to, to get his, himself back in shape and back in match fitness. But... Um, Yeah, it was a good win for Chelsea, but they weren't up against much.
3: No, I thought Mason Mount was was excellent in this game. Um, I did notice that Graham Potter dressed more casually for the Premier League game than he did for the game against AC Milan in the Champions League. I don't know if he has like afternoon wear and evening wear, or that he, it's based on respect and he respects AC Milan more than Wolves, but he did seem to be much more casual in his attire uh, for, for this game. Uh, David says, which Chelsea player has no hamstrings and requires specialist physios? This is the news that Chelsea have hired Dave Grohl's personal physio to oversee their medical department, which coincidentally is the same physio who fixed my knee after I did my ACL. So aging rockers. There was more headlines about Dave Grohl than there were about me, as that physio is now running Chelsea's department. Rooster says, will Wolves ever score again, Barney?
0: Barney. Not until they get... Uh, they. There's always a team every year who has a manager who's a really pleased, smiling guy who's from somewhere within the club hierarchy who says oh, it's just a privilege. You know, so for me, it's a great privilege. And the, the guy who of the day says, oh, it must be really fun for you to, you know, your boyhood club. And they're, and they're up against like Antonio Conte. He wants to rip your eyes out in order to win. And you just, that's not going to, you know, it's not going to, you have no chance. So they need a vicious career manager to come in and, and just stop smiling and being pleased. I, I, can I make a Chelsea point? I, um, I think that Ruben Loftus-Cheek is a good central midfielder. Um, is a really good player who's never really found a proper role. I mean he he scored two goals in a hundred games, which is incredible for a player who's really skillful, uh, gets in amazing positions all the time, always beats his man technically brilliant. how is he? it would be harder to score three goals than two goals in a 100 games. So there's something is not quite working there but England uh, England lacks good central midfielders. We don't seem to produce them. And I reckon if he had, if the World Cup was in the summer and he had a whole season, he's playing there because of injury, but if he had a whole season with Graham Potter playing in there, he would be England's central midfielder and one of the better players in the team because he looks pretty good to me. Uh, and um, it's quite a Potter thing to to find little things like that and work away at them unexpectedly. And I, in a way, I just hope it, it continues because I like him.
5: Uh, if I could just go back to the physio point, Max. This this physio, if he's treated you and he's treated Dave Gral, he clearly specializes in nice front men. So yeah. one presumes he's brought in, <laughs> been brought in to look after Kai Havertz or Raheem Sterling.
3: <laughs> it's a very good point. Um I have Bournemouth two, Leicester City one. Um, Joshua says, is Leicester not sacking Brendan Rogers a social study in how sad you can make a man? I don't know if Joshua was talking about himself or Brendan Rogers. Meanwhile, Bournemouth are unbeaten in five
0: under Gary O'Neill. Wilson.
4: I'm interested in what Barney thinks of the body language of Leicester.
0: <laughs> well, is it body language or is it not doing stuff? I mean, the, the thing with Trent Alexander-Arnold is that he's not doing stuff in the wrong way. He's sending the wrong message with his body language while not defending well. But if it's simply that you're not you're not right. I mean, the um with Esther we did see the classic long haired defender running back calamitously towards his own goal, which the folly of signing a shaggy haired defender. I mean what are people do people not watch football? You know, these managers is there's, there's no <laughs> staff, none of the data people, no one none of the analysts who know the shaggy haired defender will always be running back towards his goal. Uh, that's just what happens.
4: So, you draw a distinction between sort of barber language and body language. The barber language is important, the body language isn't.
0: Yeah, I think that's legitimate because the shaggy head defender is always trying really hard. His limbs are pumping, his hair is flapping, he's throwing himself into the gu- into the net. His hair becomes tangled in the net as the ball kind of sloshes around this team of 4 nil down. It's not a lack of effort, it's simply that he has uh, shaggy hair. Bournemouth also
3: were
5: taken over, weren't they? That was completed. Well, it's not um, completed uh, yet. Before kickoff, uh, This Las oh, right. Vegas businessman, uh, elderly businessman, Bill Foley, he signed the paperwork. So it's now subject to the Premier League's owner and director's test. And we all know how rigorous that can be. So, <laughs> <laughs>
4: does, it, does anyone
0: feel there's something a bit suspicious going
5: on here? There's now a majority of US owners
0: in the Premier League. Shortly after Todd Bowley, somebody called... Bill Foley suddenly appears <laughs> and, and buys. Who nobody sees. Oh, he's, a, he's an old guy from Las. Vegas. He's called Bill Bill Foley. Um, and suddenly, there's a majority of US owners who could basically now, if they all decide to get together, maybe in a Las Vegas hotel, and decide to say, everybody needs a bit of cake. Have your cake, eat your cake. Uh, could basically do what they want with the Premier League now. Um, Bill Foley, Todd Bowley, John Crowley. You know, all of these guys can basically. Essentially, form a could we call it a cartel, a bowling alliance, and uh, and destroy well, destroy the anti-growth coalition that's been holding the Premier League back all these all these years. Like you, you play all your games in the same country. Um, ridiculous!
3: Crystal Palace two leads one, um, and uh, uh, what a beautiful move to win a game, Barry. That touch flick from Zaha and Eze's finish it was just a delight.
5: Eze shuffled across, well shuffled. It, that's Doing him, <laughs> doing him an injustice. But yeah, lo- lovely finish from him. Uh, Leeds looking a bit ropey for them at the moment. Two draws, four defeats in the past six games. And they, they played some lovely football in this game, but ultimately lost. And I think they deserve to be down where they are, whereas Palace, the, the fixture generator, kind of gave them a really tough start to the season. But winning this game could see them sort of rise up the table. I think they're a lot better than their league position yesterday suggested. And they're exciting to watch going forward, but quite ropey at the back. Um but.
3: has Eze dyed his moustache ginger?
5: That's and I was is that
3: what the kids do? Is that like a cool I mean it's certainly I mean I don't think I could grow a moustache at that age, but I don't know, is that what the kids do these days? I mean, I don't, well, I'm asking any
0: of you three. <laughs> he has golden uh, moustache. Um i I enjoyed I really like him and he's a really good player, and he seems like a really nice guy as well. Um and I do remember uh Ray Lewington used to just shout at him all game. He'd just stand on the side like constantly. Yeah. And he never once showed any resistance. was like, okay, Ray, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was all he did. His job was to shout at Eze. But I enjoyed him yelling at the sky after he scored which, uh, I mean, I'm assuming that was a kind of religious thing, that he was communicating directly with God. Because if it was to do with, often that relates to someone you know who's now deceased, but surely you wouldn't shout at them. You'd probably look more sombre and respectful. So I think he was shouting at, at God, and I, I just thought it was funny. Uh, it kind of It was almost like a tableau to to reveal the absurdity of all religion that you literally look at the sky and shout and have a conversation. I felt that was what he was saying. And you do that after you scored a goal in football. But if that's what inspired him to produce that brilliant move and the drop of the shoulder and the way he went past the defender while burying the ball, then, you know, good on, good on God for that. And may their conversation continue. Spurs won one then at Brighton.
3: Quite an emotional day for the Spurs team, everyone at the club after the, the death of fitness coach Gina Piero Ventrone. Uh, in many ways, you wonder if the game is kind of like a, a nice distraction, I don't if that's the right word. They sort of forget about everything that's happened. You can get caught in the football and forget for a small amount of time. And you sort of notice when the final whistle happened, the emotion that came out for, you know, Antonio Conte, who normally, as Barney suggests, wants to rip the eyes out of people, um, was really quite
0: moved, wasn't it? I just wanted to say that I used to watch Ventrone before the games. Um, He would go out with the players and do the sort of drills uh, before kickoff. And he was great to watch because um, I loved the way he walked. They called him the Marine. And he just had this swagger about him, and the players loved him. You could see that they would always be clapping him on the back. He'd be kidding around with them, and even though he was very ill, clearly um, this he worked, you know, right right to the end. And he was this incredibly robust-looking guy, and he had this sort of hair that you were drawn to, like an amazing buffon. And the the thing about they're clearly really affected by it because he was he was just one of those charismatic, mm. lovable kind of people that you couldn't help watching, um, and I, I'm I was sort of very touched by how how affected they all really genuinely seemed to be by it, and
5: you know he will obviously be hugely missed. He's presumably the guy that made them run up and down the pitch in Korea until they all started getting sick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um,
3: <laughs> so it's quite impressive to be. It's quite impressive to be to be the person that makes people run up and down a pitch in you know humidity and vomit and be loved. It shows an incredible skill,
5: right? That is. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wasn't trying to be in any way glib, but um, they, yeah, look, it wasn't a particularly good Spurs performances not enough to win. I thought Brighton were the better team, to be honest. But, you know, it's just one of those games you have to get through, isn't it? Um, Brad says, what's the most extraneous piece of commentary you've ever heard? We
3: we heard all about Tony Pulis babysitting his grandkids after his daughter ran the London Marathon during his summarising of Brighton Spurs. Um, And uh, Barry says, you're very excited that Harry Kane will read the children's book "The Lion Inside" by Rachel Bright on CBeebies bedtime stories uh, on Monday night in the UK to coincide with World Mental Health Day at six fifty.
5: Yes, um, it's it's a story about a meek little mouse who who's trying to find his voice. so he he goes to top of this giant rock under which he lives to ask a lion for advice. I won't spoil the ending, but uh, if if Harry. Puts his heart and soul into reading this story, which is on 6.50pm Monday on CBeebies, for anyone who has access to the channel. Uh, It will almost certainly call on Harry to do an impression of a meek mouse and an impression of a fearsome line, and I'm looking forward to it immensely. Um, I did during lockdown, um, I
3: did get uh, I was doing the breakfast show on Talk Sport, and obviously, everyone was you know, the, the lockdown has started, no one knows what's happening. Of course, people were tuning in not to Radio Four or Radio Five, to me and Darren Bent to get all the news of what to do in your first ever lockdown in a pandemic. We got Joe Worrell, the Nottingham Forest centre back, to read. Uh, the hungry, very hungry Caterpillar. And actually, he did a tremendous job of it. Mm, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, uh, really excellent. And it was quite good. You could get footballers because you knew where they were. They were all at home at the time. Um, uh, Steve Cooper signed a new contract with Forrest after we all sacked him last week. They played Villa uh, on Monday night. Um, a few other notes for you. Uh, a, a nice moment for Charlie White. He scored his first goal since his cardiac arrest last November. The Wigan manager, uh, Liam Richardson, Performed CPR on him, so that is a, a nice moment. Matt says, now that Preston have ruined their boring status, check out Burgos, CF, in the Spanish Segunda. Played nine, scored five, conceded nought, Uh, Although they did score three in their last game, yeah. Uh, Preston, having scored four all season and conceded four, beat Norwich 3-2. Away from home. Uh, Let me point you in the direction of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. It's back tomorrow for a full rundown of that excellent win for England over the USA uh, uh, last week on Friday night. Um, Euro 2024 draw Scotland in with Spain, Norway, Georgia, and Cyprus. England with Italy, Ukraine, North Macedonia, Malta, Wales with Croatia, Armenia, Turkey, and Latvia. Northern Ireland with Denmark, Finland, Slovenia, Kazakhstan, and San Marino. And Barry, a great draw for the Republic of Ireland. there. top two qualify, and you're in with the Netherlands, France, uh, Greece, and Gibraltar.
5: Well, if you're going to beat the best, be the best, Max. You have to beat the best. So you yeah. know, bring them, bring them on. <laughs> Can we briefly
3: talk about Ike Casillas and Carlos Puyol? Um, Jake says, after what felt like major steps forward with players like Jake Daniels coming out, seeing the levels of homophobia on football Twitter this weekend after the Casillas tweet really shows how far we still have to go. Incredibly depressing. What do you think can be done? Casillas tweeted, we were actually on air, Barry. Um, I don't know if you saw it. I saw it while we were on air yesterday. The producer was saying Ike Casillas has just come out. And I was like, hold on a second. I... I don't know. I mean, obviously, we have no, no way of knowing at the time if it was real or not. But he said, I hope you respect me. I'm gay. Lots of rumors in the Spanish press about his dating life. Carlos Puyol then replied, the time has come to tell our story, Ica, with a heart and the sort of winky kiss emoji. And actually, those those emojis were the thing that made me think this isn't real, is it? Um, the tweet was deleted about 15 minutes later. Casillas tweeted, hacked account, luckily everything in order. Apologies to all my followers. And of course, more apologies to the LGBT community. Um, uh, Josh Cavallo, the Australian who came out, uh, the only openly gay player in in a top league around the world, said, joking and making fun out of coming out in football is disappointing. It's a difficult journey that any LGBTQ plus people have to go through. Uh, To see my role models and legends of the game make fun out of coming out in my community is beyond disrespectful. Um, It was pretty, was pretty depressing that.
4: It shouldn't be, but unfortunately, for any player to come out is an enormous step and requires enormous courage. And to trivialise that, yeah, it, it's 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 irresponsible and it's incredibly distasteful. Um, and that, that that's the problem with it. And 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 I, I guess I, I struggle to understand how somebody cannot understand that. His remarks seem to have offended a lot of people on Twitter,
5: whose views on the on the subject are far more qualified to comment than I am because I'm not gay, they are, and they were upset. So that's fair enough. A couple of
3: updates. Uh, Firstly, Jamie, the author of Detective Wilson, who asked for uh, um, some suggestions for music while his wife is in labour, has added both salt and Peppers' Push It and REM's The End of the World As We Know It to the playlist, and he will let us know if either of those are playing when... Mrs. Jamie gives birth, and if they are focused on the
5: music or on other things that are
3: happening. Could could
5: I suggest, uh, by the way, Sweet Child of Mine?
3: Yes, absolutely. Uh, We can pass that one on. Hopefully, he's listening to that. That's quite a long song, so you've got quite a good chance, haven't you? It goes on forever.
5: And there's also some quite rhythmic, you know, so you could time the the pushes to. Yeah, uh, that
3: is true. Where do we (laughs) go now? Where do we go? Actually, the, the pushes don't, they're not that quick. Generally, but um, you, could, you could really slow down, sweet child of mine. There is a, there is a kind of piano-y version that maybe they could play that one. And after we read Julian McMillan's beautiful email about his brother Noah last week, I'd just like to say thank you to Julian and Noah's other brother, Seth, who both got in touch to thank all the listeners who have ordered Noah's prints from his website to raise money for his foundation, his memory. I'll add our thanks as, as well. I found it all incredibly uplifting that listeners from all over the world were moved enough to contribute. Um, uh, it is Noah. Macmillan, M A C M I L L A N dot C O. And that'll do for today's pods. Uh, Thank you, Wilson. Cheers, thank you. Uh, Thank you, Barney.
0: Cheers. Bye, everyone.
3: Uh, Thank you, Barry. Cheers, Max. Uh, We'll be back on Wednesday. Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Danielle Stevens.
2: This is The Guardian.